Hi there, everyone. This is Ben Mitchell, Editor-in-Chief here at Squiggly Online Animation Magazine, and today I'm introducing a new podcast strand that we're very proud to be hosting, brought to you by our good friend Tanya Scott. Hello, Tanya. Hello. Around the beginning of the year, Tanya wrote an article for us uh, called Inclusion and Diversity in UK Animation Workforce, a response that was essentially looking over a quite widely uh, publicized industry report and dissecting, I think, some of the statistics and putting them up against the realities of diversity in the workplace. And the survey results kind of painted a pretty rosy picture, which uh, you felt didn't quite line up with what you'd observed. Yeah, I think it was the the most confusing aspect of it was the fact that they had this, they presented this infographic that kind of says the majority of people, or at least half the industry, think it's highly or mostly inclusive. But then the statistics were sort of saying otherwise, which was probably the most confusing part. But definitely it didn't correspond to my own experiences. Mm -hmm. I guess it would be good to hear a bit about what those experiences are. So from your perspectives, when was it you kind of started? Was it about 10 years ago? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was 2010, so 10 years Probably, yeah, now, right now, 10-year hmm. <laughs> What would you say kind of defines uh, your perspectives as regards this sort of issue? So I'm mixed. I'm half mm-hmm. Chinese and I'm female. And over these past 10 years, so I've, I've done a little bit of commercial work, but mostly kids' TV and games and stuff. But throughout those 10 years, I have rarely met like a female director or a person of colour in a directing role. In fact, I think I've only ever worked under one as a director and no women. And I can't actually think of any either. Like, never mind if I've worked with them. Like, I can't actually think of any, which is quite discouraging. So I think after 10 years, you know, I've got quite a good overview of the industry. I've got quite a good network. But that network is very much limited to a certain kind of person, even if I try and find people who are not. So I guess that's that's kind of my perspective on it. Mm-hmm. I do remember um, when you were still living in Bristol, and we would occasionally chat about how things were going and work and stuff. And I recall some specific conversations with you that were quite eye-opening. And I think now, we're, you know, the last few years, I think the conversations are sort of flowing a little more freer. And I was very encouraged by the overall response to your article when it went out. I was cynically expecting perhaps a bit of pushback because people like the idea of the kind of, you know, rosy narrative and that everyone's being super accepting and diversity is on the grow and that sort of thing. But people, I think, were generally in agreement and were quite keen to sort of hear more of those sort of perspectives. So to that... You had been scheduled to do a panel at the Cardiff Animation Festival, which has been delayed. But in lieu of that event, you chaired a panel on this subject, essentially, that was streamed online. It hasn't been recorded, but it was sort of broken down by the Cardiff Animation team. There's like an infographic on their social media that goes into quite a lot of the points that were raised. And that was a really interesting thing to sit in on. So I'm, you know, very happy that there are more of these discussions that you've been organizing. So, yeah, maybe you could tell us a bit about this organization, Visual and Visuals. Yeah, so, uh, the, the, like you said, like the, the sort of feedback from the article was great. 
and a lot of people who got in contact with me, especially people of colour, wanted to sort of share their experiences as well, which is why Lauren from Cardiff got in contact with me and mm. we decided to do this panel. But then when we did the panel for screen skills, because it was registry only and it wasn't recorded, a lot of people were saying to us, like, we really love this discussion, we want to hear more, or I wanted to share this with somebody, but I can't now because it's not recorded and I couldn't tune in in time or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's why we've decided to do these. And because of some of the things that our panellists were saying and also some of the things that are mentioned in the Access VFX podcast, which had a similar topic after the Black Lives Matter movement, I just felt like it was really important to have this have a space for this and I know Access VFX does this to an extent but I think a lot of people who come from like 2D and stop motion don't really feel included in Access VFX it seems to be a very like CGI VFX thing so for me it felt like important to have something where we could have like a network for minorities in animation and also something where younger people who maybe aren't going to university or thinking about going to university can access and listen to these things and sort of learn more yeah and students as well because I've spoken to a couple of you know I don't want to use the term BAME anymore (laughs) um Asian and black students um Mm -hmm. who are actually quite concerned about the fact that they're going into this industry that's sort of dominated by um white male workforce so it felt like there needed to be something online for free that people could access and easily find so that's why we set up uh, visible and visuals and i've got hodden helping me as well so sort of a good production person on side so hopefully we can make this platform as useful as possible but on this platform we're going to have these panels where we're going to be talking about different subjects regarding diversity and inclusion in animation so The first two we've got lined up will be about diversity and inclusion from a person of colour's perspective. So we've got basically our screen skills panel back plus a few extra people. And then we're going to also have a discussion about women in animation. We're also going to do LGBTQ plus and also one on Brexit, which should be quite interesting as well um, because uh, we've got Rita Sampaio, on board and she's from Portugal and I think um, quite a lot of us are concerned about it but actually we haven't really heard from freelancers yet about kind of like what their feelings are about it so we felt that was a really important conversation we had so all the panels we have are going to be kind of centered around sort of voices that usually are absent from these discussions especially the big sort of studio industry funded events that usually go on. Well, certainly. I mean, I'm excited to hear them as they come together, and I'm very grateful that you're happy for us to put these out as well. So you're going to be putting them out as videos as well, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's fantastic that Squiggly are going to have this, because I think it's going to reach, you know, people in the industry who need to hear it. But um, the purpose of it being on YouTube is just so it's it's easier to find, and also the clues in the name, visible. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that people... I think actually see people of colour or women in these roles, I think that's really important. So for us, it is really important that we, we show our faces and we we share something visible. So yeah, for the podcast, we'll be including the main conversations, but 
you were saying you were going to do some extra segments on the video, sort of more like profiling individuals. Yeah. So like a lot of the conversations we've had, and this comes up in our first panel, um, a lot of people are saying like, especially people from like a working class background or like a non British background, let's say you don't even know these jobs exist and you don't really realize that these, these jobs are for you and they should be something that you can aspire to. You shouldn't feel like you're excluded from it. So we want to do sort of like job showcase kind of videos. So just for example, if we had Bimpy on, who is a really, really talented um, British Nigerian concept artist. So she'll be just explaining what her job is and what she does and how she got into it. And just being inspiration for other people who might be interested in getting into the industry, but might be a bit worried about what it's like if you're not the majority at work. Mm-hmm. Well, so you guys are on Twitter already uh, at visible underscore visuals and you're also on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Under the same handle. Super. And how can people get in touch with you if they have things they want to address or ask? So they're more than welcome to DM us on Twitter or Instagram, or they can email us at um, visibleinvisuals at gmail.com. Fantastic. Cool. Well, thank you very much. I guess we should crack on with the first discussion. This will be the last you'll hear from me on uh, this particular strand. I think moving forward from episode two, it will be the panel discussion kind of contained. But thank you very much for coming on to introduce it. And uh, I look forward to seeing what happens with this. It sounds exciting. Great, thank you for having me and thank you for uh, again for having it on here. Hi everybody and welcome to Visible and Visuals, an online platform pushing to make animation and VFX industries more diverse and inclusive through open, honest conversation. We are committed to making the people behind the visuals more visible. My name is Tanya J. Scott. And I'm Hodan Abdin, and we are the people behind the platform. I'll be hosting your first panel on diversity and inclusion in the workplace, a people of colour perspective, anyways. This is the first panel um, on the VIV platform. Uh, my name's Hodan, uh, I'll be your host. So enough about me, and let me introduce the first person. So I'll take it off to Bimpy. Hi. Hello, I am Bimpy. I'm a concept artist currently working at Industrial Light and Magic in London. I've been in the visual effects industry for about four years now. Yeah, that's me. And thank you, Bimpy. Uh, Riz? Hey, I'm Riz. I'm an animator. Uh, I've worked in the industry for two years. Uh, I previously worked on Mr. Bean, the animated series, and I'm currently working on the show Daisy and Ollie. Welcome, Riz. Um, And Mo? Hello, I'm Mohammed. Uh, I've been working in the industry about six years now, and I'm up in Bristol in A Productions working on JoJo and Grand Grand. Hi, Mo. <laughs> and Tanya, last of all. Hiya, uh, my name is Tanya J. Scott. I'm an animation art director and illustrator who specialises in children's television. So these are your panellists today and let's begin the discussion with the first question. Um, Do you think the animation industry is highly or mostly inclusive and why? Does anyone want to go first? I'll go first. Um, So some people might know that I actually wrote a squiggly article on this um, because um, a lot of people seem to think that animation is highly or mostly inclusive, according to the Animation UK survey that came out in September. 
And unfortunately, in my experience, I don't feel that's the case. It is incredibly rare for me to meet a woman in a senior creative role and um, very, very rare for me to meet anybody who is non-white in a senior creative role. I have, I think, only worked with maybe one person of colour as a director, which was my second job in animation, and it was his own studio. I have not seen it happen in a 2D studio, you know, like a big studio that does children's TV or anything like that. Um, I've worked with two or three female directors, and that's it, in my 10 years working in industry. So I think like the numbers, uh, you know, are proof enough that actually we're not as inclusive as we think we are. Yeah, just to echo what Tanya said, um, seeing those screen skills numbers, I think they had it at about 40% of people, something like that, thought that um, the VFX and animation industry was mostly um, diverse and inclusive. And I was really shocked at the number. And um, having kind of walked in to um, visual effects and not really seen anybody else that looked like me. So I did, <clears throat> I was wondering where a lot of those numbers were coming from. But yeah, there is that overall idea and view that because it's a creative industry, that therefore it's filled with all different kinds of people in various forms. And um, so far that, from what I kind of have seen, that hasn't necessarily been the case. And I think there are a multitude of reasons for that, which I know that we'll get into a bit later on down the line. But I think having these discussions, especially in the last few months, has been really, really, really important to highlight, especially to a lot of people that are and that do that have seen or felt that the VFX and animation industry was diverse and inclusive because I think as a lot of us are now really speaking out about that it is the complete opposite and that's something that we really want to change like really really want to change. Yeah um, it just to me when I saw that it just it made me sad because it made me realize just how many people didn't even think about you know how how isolated we are in this industry like every place I've worked I've only ever seen either one other black person or one other person of color apart from myself um I've never I've, I've never seen uh um, more than like a handful of people who who are minorities at, at any place that I've worked and it was it was weird that it was just so accepted as it as like oh yeah this is this is fine like one or two people that's 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 equality you know yeah and same with my experience i've never uh in all the places i've worked i've never worked uh with i've never seen another brown person in the same studio and it always is only about like three or four non-white people in the entire studio um and i'll never forget there was this one like animation uh like meet and greet event and out of everybody there i remember seeing one other brown person and it was like the most amazing moment like whoa we uh, this has never happened before so yeah it's such a rare thing to see people of the same culture as you in animation studios wow thank you Ren. Moving on from that question kind of leads us to the next. Um, so can any of you guys give me any examples of uh, times that you may have encountered any bias um, or 
any differential treatment based on your race or your nationality at the workplace? Anyone? <laughs> I think, um, Tanya? So if people aren't watching this and they're listening to the audio, they're probably not going to know this, but I'm, I'm mixed and I look, I think a lot of people will just presume I'm, I'm white. So I think a lot of people will be quite surprised to hear that even I have experienced things in the workplace which have been, you know, quite questionable behaviour. Um, and if people listen to the Access VFX podcast I did with Ash Wu, then you'll hear some of the examples he's had, um, which have been very similar. Um, and generally I have found that... Mm-hmm. I think in the way that I'm treated at work, my gender plays a bigger part than my ethnicity, maybe because I sort of look like a white person, I don't know. But I think there have definitely been occasions I can think of where there has been like just sort of casual racism being thrown out um, just generally into the room and nobody has flagged it. And when I have flagged it, um, people sort of tell me that I'm being uh, sensitive, or, you know, it's just a joke and I should just not take it too seriously. But, you know, if you're somebody who has grown up watching people racially abuse your mother as a, when you were a child or racially abuse you or your sister or, you know, say these things, it, you, you, you need to flag it because you understand the repercussions of that and how important it is, especially in children's TV, not to have those kind of attitudes you know, just taken so casually. And, uh, you know, that for me, you know, just one example I shared in my article was there was a character design which I felt was very reminiscent of sort of historical racial stereotypes of Chinese people. It looked very much like a sort of like anti-Japanese propaganda from like the 40s, like the yellow peril kind of stuff. And when I flagged it to my se- to somebody senior on the team, they were just like, oh, well, it's just tongue-in-cheek. You know, and they just fogged me off. And I was quite junior, so I just sort of felt like I was making a son and a dance out of nothing. And I, I sort of stepped back and I, I, I didn't make any more of a fuss over it. But I, I really regret doing that because I think that's now being broadcast on national kids' TV. <laughs> and if you're, you know, if you're a kid now, Chinese kid or a Japanese kid or a Korean kid, you know, British, living in this country, you should not be watching that in 2020. I've I've had I've had times where I felt like my religion has played a big part in how I've been treated at work especially because my name is Mohammed so as soon as I introduce myself people usually already have uh, an idea of how I am in their head like I'm quite a big black guy and some people have been like oh I don't know if I can say these things about him he's Muslim I don't know if he's like how he acts at work or what what how he practices his religion and stuff and that's come up a few times um in places where people have just asked you know inappropriate questions to me or things like that and then it comes to the bit where it's like okay well I don't know how I want to respond to that because it's like do I respond and say no don't talk to me like that don't say these kind of things or what you're saying is quite ignorant knowing that I could potentially put this person who's either given me the job or, you know, helped me in this position um, and not want me to be there anymore. And then it 
it it it kind of makes you feel like I shouldn't say anything, you know, or I should just accept it or something. And it it never it never feels good. It really frustrates you, especially when you're the only one there. Like apart from when I've I've I worked in one place, I've always only been the only Muslim in in the office, and um, it's always been oh, there's a Muslim here. Let's talk about that every day. Let's 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 ask like how he does things or something like that. And it's never a place of like, oh, I want to learn or something. It's it always comes with a place like, wow, that's so different from me. Like, why would you do that or something like that? It never makes you feel like, oh, these people actually care and they want to know. It just makes you feel like, okay, um, am I just a gimmick here? You know, it's just it's it's just never a nice feeling. Mo, can I ask you a follow up? Um. Have you ever felt like you couldn't say anything because it could de- uh, jeopardize your job? Yes, I felt like it. It feels it. It feels like if I bring it up, I could almost be the one seen as intimidating because, like I said, big black guy, Muslim, telling someone off or saying something like "Don't, don't say that to me" or something. It's like don't talk to him, don't say anything to him. No, don't, he's not a very nice person to work with. And it's like, you have all those things up front that already, that already make up someone else's opinion of you. And it's like, how do I stick up for myself? How do I defend myself without you already making opinion and not even listening to whatever I have to say, you know? Bimpy? Uh, yeah, just to kind of follow up from what Mo was saying, that is a very real worry that I think most of us do have about, okay, but what are going to be the repercussions of now speaking out about this? Like, who are we going to rub the wrong way? What are they now going to do? Are we going to lose our jobs because of this? Because if somebody, what, I, what I've kind of, made, one of the couple of main things I've had is like, just people coming and touching your hair and stuff like that, like this weird little curiosity that goes on and you kind of like, okay, well, who do I... Firstly, like, who do I even tell about this? Like, what do I even kind of say? Don't touch my hair. Well, why are you being so sensitive about it? Like, no, because you don't understand the implications of what that is and what that means. Also, I'm not, I'm not your pet. Like, if there's a, that level of curiosity that you have has come from somewhere. That level of curiosity has come from the media, not well, because the media plays a big role in how we learn about the world. And we're constantly learning about only one kind of person that it means that learning about other cultures, at least on a broader level that isn't stereotypical or stereotyped is completely cut off. So loads of people don't know anything about black hair. And so that curiosity feeds into people feeling like they have the right or the justification to just kind of go up and touch you in a place of work or even just out on the street where I've had it before. And it's just like, no, there's no, there's no justification for that ever. And another things I've found is people just also haven't have always kind of wanted to avoid having the conversation. So if I've brought up a topic in regards to race, in regards to something else that we've been speaking about, it'll be very quickly like brushed off. Oh no, 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 that's not a thing. And then you're kind of left alone being the only black person in this space or the only whoever in this space having to kind of feeling dejected and feeling like, okay, well, I've tried to voice this and nobody wants to hear it and nobody on this level wants to hear it, nobody on that level wants to hear it. And if you're in, if you're kind of like starting off in the industry, like that's a quite a nerve wracking thing. Like, do you keep pushing it or do you pull back? But I think we're definitely at a stage now where I think a lot of us are just exhausted of, um, well, we're perpetually exhausted, but we're definitely at a point where we don't want to feel that exhaustion anymore. And 
I think having these conversations has been specifically important because we are now kind of finding other people that are wanting to have these conversations. We're building a community as such that we're able to support each other in having these conversations, which I really feel like is going to sustain us in having these conversations. Chris? Going off from what Mo was saying earlier, uh, I feel like every non-white person when they're in a new job knows the feeling of like, I'm going to be interviewed about my culture when I, when I meet these people. I feel like it's always a thing you kind of dread, like just from them noticing that your name is different or your skin color is different, that you're gonna get questions like, oh, where are you from? Oh, how, how's it like there? And it's just the, the being treated like you're someone completely different, like an alien or something when uh, at the end of the day, you're just both people, and it's so shocking that people just don't understand that. Following on from what Mo was saying as well, I think like this is something I've 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 needed to learn sort of in my late twenties, early thirties, was like understanding that, for, especially for black men, well, black black people generally, but for black men, I think like it's it's it is very difficult to raise these issues because of these sort of like the stereotypes we have of black men we just assume they're going to be aggressive or whatever so i think they have to always really pick and choose their arguments and when i found that out i could really relate because i was like as a woman like i understand that when i go to work and i have a concern or if i need help with something there is a way that i have to phrase my question there is a way i have to navigate like ego and i know this is probably going to hurt quite a few men's feelings but um i have to be very careful about how I phrase my question, how I present myself, what I look like when I come to work. And I had never thought that that was applicable to men. I had never thought that. But you know, like talking, like especially the conversations Mo and I have had and me doing a lot of research on like identity, you know, politics and all this kind of stuff. And as well, like listening to the conversation that the line had and Wes was talking about how he presents himself as well. Like, I think a lot of people in senior roles don't actually understand that this is the thinking process like every time somebody has an issue it's not just the issue that is stressful it is then trying to work out how you're going to approach it who you're going to talk to how is that conversation going to happen who can i make sure is going to be on my side so i can make sure that this issue is actually tackled the way it should be and i think this for me is like this is one of the reasons why I, I felt like I had to write this article because like Bimpy was saying, like, you know, you're, re you're really scared about your career and like how it will impact you. I'm lucky that I am now at the stage in my career where I can say these things and I can feel like I have enough of a good support network and I know enough good people that this won't come back on me. But I can remember being like a younger person and being in situations where I did feel like my race or the fact that I didn't look like other people around me was an issue and I couldn't tell anyone that. And when I did sort of express those concerns, I was told I was probably making it up. And it is really difficult. And I think that is like kind of like the one thing that I kind of want to just sort of say there, because I think that is something people who own studios and run HR departments and whatever need to really seriously think about is what kind of environment they're creating so people can actually raise these issues and have proper conversations, not just feel like they're going to be judged 
immediately. MP? Um, just following up from what Tanya said about having to watch your like your approach, your words, because especially as a black woman, um, the idea of angry black woman is a very, very real stereotype, dangerous concept that exists and still exists and is still very much in play with society. So I know that, yeah, I'm constantly watching what I say and how I say it because I'm very aware of how that can quickly go from having a discussion to well, you're being aggressive and being labelled as aggressive despite speaking with maybe passion or vigour. Um, I don't think men and women are... I, I think women are chastised for speaking up and speaking confidently, um, whereas men are, tend to be more or less championed and it won't be viewed as coming across as aggressive. But if you're... Especially as a black woman who's kind of if trying to speak in that manner, that will very quickly be labelled as something... A lot more negative so I yeah I tend to definitely be a lot more careful and it isn't right that that um that I feel like I have to almost code switch or police my own language but that's the environment that's been created due to a lot of those stereotypes and that is exhausting on so many levels and as I said as well I people aren't necessarily um uh, people aren't necessarily aware of people of color that have like what we kind of carry as we come into the workplace just even walking around on a daily basis in ways we have to navigate certain things certain situations certain things that we're going to say how we have to prepare for certain things potentially happening or potentially not happening and there's a lot of exhaustion that comes from that on a daily basis so not only are you trying to figure out your daily life and your work life and trying to make sure you're getting stuff done for work you're also navigating and carrying a lot of that a lot of those other issues that come with being a person of colour. No? It's, it's just like, just to carry on, it's almost like now, I do, now I'm getting judged on how black I am as well. So if I say something and I've had people say to me, oh, you know, you're black, but you're not that. Like, I thought you'd be like this or something like that. You know, like um, I've had people like oh I've actually I've actually forgotten that you were from these places and stuff because of how you've talked and stuff and it's like now I have to act a certain way just to make you feel like I am still the person I am you know just to make you feel comfortable on top of that and it's so exhausting it's so exhausting that I can't just come into a place and do my work without also oh if I go, if I go to get tea, or if I don't go to get tea because I, I don't drink it or something like that, then I have to have a conversation about that, and I'm told I'm weird for it or something. And then how I'll react to that will then be like, oh, that's so weird. I I heard people from so and so usually, blah blah blah, and it's like, well, can't I just be me at work? You know, like, do I always have to fight these stereotypes before you let me just do my job? You know, and it's like. It, it's exactly like what Bimpe and Tanya were saying. It's like, how much, how much do I do before then they, you know, stop wanting to hire me or stop feeling like um, I'm, I'm a person they want to hire because I'm too aggressive or something. And yeah, it's, it's, it's exhausting. But taking the next step, um, what are your thoughts on these incentive programs and these policies that um, are now catering to try to attract more people of colour into workplaces? Um, what are your thoughts? Um, 
are you for it against it i think a lot of these it has to be it has to do with what the intention is if it's just to pave over like the cracks then they're not going to work it doesn't it's not what we're looking for it's not what's needed firstly we need to be having real dialogue and real conversation about what the real issues are and why the real issues are and we need to be working to create sustainable structures as opposed to well let's just throw money at this let's just throw money at that but also we can very quickly see when something is insincere and it's and it can't it can't be about that it's got to be about a whole restructure and that kind of thing takes time but it also takes dedication but it also takes honesty it takes real honesty it takes having these conversations no matter how uncomfortable people are about having those sort of conversations so if you're a company and you're just saying well i'm just going to throw money at this but i'm not actually going to have any conversations about what the structure of my company looks like what the structure of my company looks like in terms of who the juniors are the mids and seniors then it it doesn't come across as sincere it doesn't really come across as okay you're actually wanting any real change because it needs to be about that real change and it needs to be about having those real conversations are the are the, are the individuals supported or is it just to make the company look better for themselves you know like it sounds great if you can post on twitter about how you've got x amount of people working in the industry now and you were the one who championed it but how do those people feel in those jobs you know like in some some in when i first started in the industry i remember feeling you know people will never see me more than this you know as like oh he couldn't get a job in animation normally he had to go through this special route or something so you know let's let's he's always going to be in that specific that specific um area he's never going to be able to push out of that and having that as a weight on your shoulder never feels good it always feels like you've started further back than other people and if you don't get support from the companies that have put you there or the 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 people you're working with then it just feels like why am i here like why am i really here do you do you actually do you actually think i'm good enough for this job or am i only here to make you guys look better you know like away from all the photos and the pictures and the tweets that you can say like what do you actually care about me and my future in this in this career Riz? I feel like something important that needs to be done is to for uh studios to hire uh non-white people in more senior higher up roles um personally like the places I've worked I've I've always had someone in a higher position than me who is a uh, a uh, non white person so i feel like i i'm able to talk about uh these sort of topics or if i'm feeling some sort of way i i know that they can relate i feel like if if that's not the case and and the, the higher ups are just white people then you're going to feel intimidated to be able to raise these issues i feel like the people who you relate to definitely should be in the higher positions so they can understand what things are going through and to also just make you feel a bit more comfortable talking about that stuff Tanya Yeah I think just um again like this this isn't necessarily something I can relate to because like I can camouflage quite well sometimes um but um just watching things that have happened to friends who are not white you know i i think a lot of this sometimes 
these sort of quotas or these responses, like for example, the Black Lives Matter or, you know, now the sort of what's followed on from Black Lives Matter, it's like this, it is like tokenism. It's, it's like, like Bimpy was saying, like trying to fill a gap and it's so blatant. It is like when, you know, I've worked with people and they're like, oh, we need to show we're a diverse company. Um, where all my backs are, finally find them quick and like bring them out. And suddenly they're, they're putting these people like on a, on a podium basically. It's just like, look what we've done, like that kind of attitude. Um, and I, I understand like it's a really difficult sort of balance. I think, I think a lot of companies really struggle, especially if they're white. Well, most companies are white, if not all of them, but if they're owned by white people, I think they really struggle to approach this and look genuine. Um, but I have seen in recent weeks, like people calling out for BAME um, creative people. And uh, it's, for me, it's kind of like I'm watching, I'm looking at that advert and I'm thinking, but why is it, why is it taking this long for you to notice? And why weren't you hiring these people before? What was it about? What is it about this time and place where suddenly you want to pay attention to people who I'm sure who have been applying to your studio, but you just didn't give them a job? So what has changed in this, this time frame? And I think that's when you start to get a bit suspicious. And I think also then another repercussion of that is if you do then hire, let's say, a black person into that studio, how is that, that person going to feel once they're there? Are they going to feel like you genuinely believe in their talent and you really genuinely want to help them? Or are they going to feel like a charity project? And I think that's something that a lot of companies need to sort of, like, like Bimpy was saying, like have these conversations and have real conversations about it and actually learn from it. Don't just assume you found an answer by just putting out an Instagram post. Bimpy? Um, Tanya's pretty much just said what I was going to say, actually. But yeah, like once you've brought in all these people of colour into the company, what are you then actually doing to not only support them, but also sustain in number? Because I think that's also an issue because we're kind of stepping into these places and these companies and some of us getting very exhausted about um, some other treatments happening or because of the lack of diversity are then leaving these spaces. So it's all good and well to kind of then suddenly have a month or two months where you suddenly see... Um, the number of people of colour spike but then that will then drop off quite quickly that's not actually then levelling out so how are you supporting people once they come in especially if they are feeling as Mo's mentioned like we're just the diversity hire or the token hire what's actually being done to support us in these roles in these spaces to also help us develop in these roles and in these spaces and that's something that companies need to be thinking of a, like it needs to be a long-term thing it can't just be okay let's just react to this let's just react to this and have no sustainability plan or no idea of actually what the real issues are um a question to um everybody else um mo was saying that he did enter the industry through one of these programs however did any of you feel like um you were hired based on your race or your ethnicity and you kind of felt like you were filling the quota. Tanya? Um, I haven't. So I entered through an uh, internship through my university. So for me, it was because I, I knew it was because the person who hired me had seen my work at my graduation show. So that was quite nice. Um, but I have been at companies where, like for example, there was one job where I was basically doing cover until somebody else could start. 
um, I didn't, I didn't want the job, and I just, I just needed a little bit of time. So it was, I was only there for a total of eight days, and they asked me to fill out a diversity form. And obviously, as a woman and a, technically a person of colour, like you know, I filled out the diversity form, but I was getting replaced for the duration of the rest of the duration of Reddit by a white middle-aged man um, who I don't know if he filled in a diversity form but you know the same company like a couple of weeks later was like sort of saying how how inclusive and diverse they were and I was thinking oh like I know the production you have on now has maybe like one other half Chinese person on it and they're leaving like next week so everyone else on that is white and male like is that diverse so I think um well, I definitely haven't felt like it's 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 been the reason I've been hired. It definitely has been used as a sort of like uh, I don't know, it's something for the company. That's generally the purpose of you filling out these forms. I feel like. Bimpy. I don't think I was, but because um, I started my career as a runner. But I was hyper aware of being one of only two black people in the company at the time. So what that meant was that I was thinking about that constantly. And I was very much more focused and worried about what this would look like if I wasn't able to succeed in the role that I was in. And if I wasn't able to basically um, make this work because I felt like, okay, being one of only two black people and then at one point the only black person in the company, if I am not able to succeed in this space, what effect will that have for any other black person who wants to get into that space? So that's where my mind is at. So not knowing, yeah, so not knowing whether or not, I don't think I was, but it was, I was hyper aware of it anyway, because I was worried about what that could mean for anybody else who wanted to be um, who wanted to kind of join or be in this space and feeling like, okay, I can't be the one person that lets this down or screws it up for everyone. Um, then there's another question uh, from um, what you've just said, Bimpy. Um, have you felt like you were carrying your race on your shoulders? Almost um, having to... I know everybody's put on a voice or um, has acted a certain way, like we have said um, to previous questions, but do you feel like the weight of everybody who looks like you is on you and you are a representation? Has that affected your work? I know for me it did for quite some time. I kind of fed into a lot of anxiety I was having and the amount of pressure I was putting on myself to succeed or to make sure that I could do the job that I needed to do and I still feel it sometimes a little bit now because like a, being a, a black female concept artist like we're like unicorns I've only ever met one other black female concept artist and I haven't I know of a couple of handful of more black concept artists but I actually haven't met another black concept artist put from this one person so again, I was feeling a lot of kind of like, okay, I, I feel like I'm representing in some shape or form because like, yeah, as I said, if I screw this up and I don't get this right, are they going to think, okay, well, this person and inadvertently these people aren't able to do this job or they're not up for this, they're not up for doing that. So it was something that I carried for quite some time and I did feel quite anxious about. It was, un it, did, it did underlie a lot of the pressure that I was putting on myself when I first got into the industry. Okay, uh, let's uh, move on to the 
next question um do you feel like you've had a fair and equal opportunity to move forward in your career and push past the glass ceiling uh, I, i'm feeling quite old now because i've just realized i'm the most experienced person on this call <laughs> been in the industry for the longest um i've found it really difficult um i've had to and I, again like i don't know that this is specifically to do with my ethnicity but having speaking to spoken to other women earlier this year who we were having a very like blunt conversation about this i think a lot of women do feel like there is only so high they can get before they just they're not allowed to progress any further and definitely i have felt like I have had to really battle my way into more senior positions. Like I have had to turn down work and tell people, I do not want that job anymore. I can do better, you know, and I've had to risk it. I've had to risk not having work in order to be given a more senior position. And, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not saying like, you know, I'm more deserving than anyone else, but I do feel like I work very hard whenever I go to work, people are always telling me how hard and how fast I work and how good my work is, yet I somehow cannot get that promotion for whatever reason. And then somebody with way less experience generally so happens to be white and male sort of saunters in. It's just like, yeah, I'm your director now. And you're like, how did that happen? Like, you're just sitting there going, like, I, can't, I can't keep up with this. Like, I don't know, you know, and then again, like if you say anything, you're told you're complaining, you're moaning, you know, like as a woman, you know, I know this isn't to take the conversations about, but as a woman, you know, you you are very conscious of time and your age and the life choices you make, whether or not you're going to have children. You know, we don't have the luxury of time that men have. So definitely I feel like my gender has definitely played a role. Whether or not my ethnicity has, again, I think it's much harder to tell because um one like i don't i don't have a community of other chinese people around me i couldn't tell you that and but saying that i mean like it must it must be playing a role in it if i have not worked under anyone who isn't white apart from one person you know i i can't think of a chinese director that i've ever met you know, maybe in commercials, but definitely not in ch children's animation. Um, you know, black directors, like, I mean, I've had this conversation with Hodden a couple of times, and she's always like, oh, but there must be some black directors, you know, it's like, I can think of two, and one owns his own, well, they both own their own studios, it's not like they've been promoted by somebody else. So I think definitely there is obviously some kind of bias at play. But, yeah. Riz? I feel like when you're like applying for a job, it is it's quite hard to tell. Are they employing me for my work, or are they employing me to 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 fill a percentage? Um, and like, I think, well, I mean, because all behind the scenes, it's hard to really uh, gauge their thinking behind it. But I think a, a thing that a lot of people who aren't in the industry don't realize is a lot of animation projects uh, get started from the director or the creator just bringing in like their friends um, to work and the majority of creators and directors on animation projects are 
white men. So it's very likely that all their friends that they bring in are other white men. So I feel like if that doesn't change, then then the amount of non-white people are always going to be in the minority. True. Uh, it's something that has definitely played on my um, insecurities and anxieties quite a bit. There was uh, one guy I worked with a couple years ago. He must have been about 10 years older than me. He was a black guy as well. He said to me, how you enter the industry is how they will always see you. And I can't lie, that's something that has, I've always fought myself. There's been times where there's been, you know, opportunities or something and I felt like I've not I've not been given that opportunity because of how I've been viewed or how I came into the industry um and it's it it, it, it messes with you because it makes you feel like oh no no one wants to jump to race as the first reason you know like it's not like you want to hold that chip on your shoulder like so you think of like oh so many so many different things like oh maybe you're not good enough maybe it's your skills or something but then when you're offered opportunities up like other places or other things and then it's like hold on a second there like and you start putting things together and it just it, it it's something that you always think about and i wish it wasn't there i really wish it wasn't something that you have to constantly think about when applying for work or when trying to get a promotion or something that is like I just it's it's something else that I feel a lot of people in this industry don't ever have to think about like what Riz said a lot of people like our our industry is very connected like the network is quite big and a lot of people do get jobs through like knowing someone working with someone before and it's it sometimes feels like you have to fight through all that and also know that you know you're starting at a lower level than everyone else is because of your skin color and everything. And it, it, it just, it always feels like, you know, it always feels to me like, you know, that person hiring you, they're going to be like, Oh, should I hire someone called Mohammed or should I hire someone I know who it's just like, Oh, he's just, you know, another white person that I've met that is going to be, it's going to be easy to get on with. Everything's going to be fine. Or do I hire Mohammed and have to learn what Ramadan means or what it's like to be, a, you know, just things like this that have always just been there when you're applying for a place or working at a place and been pushed down from a position that you know you're good enough for? Tanya? Oh, I was just going to say, like, I think it's really interesting hearing that you say that because I have not necessarily heard firsthand, but you know, like you, you, I like to eavesdrop a little bit and listen to what a senior manager is saying. And I think it's really interesting because all the things that he's saying, like, you know, how this impacts your confidence and all this kind of stuff, then in hand, that would be used against you later on. So they'll say, oh, but you can't have that promotion because you're not confident enough. And why aren't you more confident? And it's this constant battle where you're trying to like, make sure you're seen in just the right way and it seems to be like this very like narrow sort of bracket that you have to fit into I think you know again not necessarily me but I think I've definitely noticed this with friends that you feel like they have to they have to fit into this very sort of singular sort of idea that people have of what they should be and how they should behave in animation what they should be interested in and like I was saying like you know as a 
was in that like oh but you should come to the pub you should be part of this culture we have at work because if you want to succeed you have to show us that you are one of us and I think you know that in hand then you know people don't think about how that plays on people's mental health or anything like that and how it can affect confidence so drastically and again yeah just following on from something that Mo had said which kind of just reminded me of something um about like how you come in and um will people hire you based off of this based off of that like when I so this is before I was actually in VFX but when one of my first jobs out of uni um uh, one of the well it was recommended to me by one of the people that I worked with who was relatively was very senior um they recommended that I should potentially look into changing my name um my name being Bimpy like they were worried that my name was going to have an impact on my career going forward because it was something that they'd experienced themselves so they themselves had um had made some changes to that they'd anglicized their own name basically so it's something that they recommend that I do because they kind of knew for a fact that people would look at my name on um like for anything that I was applying to and make assumptions based off of that. So obviously like I will never know um, <laughs> if I was turned down from certain jobs that I was applying to at the time because of that, but we all know that it's a real thing. We all know that it is something that does happen. And again, that's something that um, I do kind of hold on to because again, like when you start a new place, you start in a new role, you're introduced to new people in whatever workspace, that's something that you're then also considering, okay, how are they going to butcher my name this time or how are they going to, what joke are they going to make about my name? Are they then going to ask me, well, where are you really from? Like, again, there's like where for some people, like they don't even have to consider that kind of thing. But for many of us, that sometimes can bring a source of um, annoyance or anxiety, knowing that people are going to ask you about your name or people are just not even going to want to bother to attempt to say your name correctly. Like I've had times where people have just gone, oh, that's really odd. Can I call you something else? <laughs> no, you can't call me something else. I've taken the time to learn your name. So please take the time to learn my name. It's, it's not difficult. So yeah. <laughs> Anya? I was just going to say, because this is um, something that Riz said earlier as well, like about when you're going to work and you're anticipating what questions will come. So again, like, even though I'm not, I don't look particularly well, like when people find out like I'm half Chinese, like you, you can't always know the order of questions that will follow. Like there will always be like a, so, you know, do you speak Chinese? And then you'll say like, no, I don't. And then you have to explain to them why you don't speak Chinese. And then they'll be like, okay, so your mom's from China and you'll be like, no, you know, Chinese people don't only come from China, like they can come from other parts of the world. But then they'll tell you that we're, because of my mom's from Singapore, then they'll say something like, oh, but Singapore is China, right? And then you'll be like, that's, that's, like I can't educate you on geography while I'm at work. Like, go look at a map, go sort this out in yourself. But it is this thing where it's like, you can sort of sense these questions coming, like people sort of look at you a bit like, you know, and then suddenly you'll be like, oh, here it comes. Where are you from? That's, that's the one that sort of triggers it. And it's, it's just, it's funny to listen to like, you know, cause none of us come, you know, from a similar background, particularly. I mean, I know Bimpy and Mo are both British Nigerian, but like the fact that all of us have had this experience is, <laughs> I find it quite amusing, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's, I've received that 
just walking down the road during school now at work in multiple workplaces is um, a question that I'm just used to getting but um, I want to pick back up on something Mo said um, about feeling like starting further behind than your counterparts um, and do you guys feel like you've had to work a lot harder as well? I think that's the age-old thing I think especially as a black person like I know that that's something that I was constantly told growing up and I know um, other black people have had the same experiences that like because you are black because the world will view you like this you have to do this you have to work twice as hard three four times as hard as this other person because you will be starting on a lesser footing so to speak so definitely and also knowing that I came into the industry kind of like later on it's like my second career because growing up my parents had dissuaded me from the creative industry because they didn't think it was a safe space for me they didn't they wanted me to be like a doctor or lawyer again like I, I know a lot of people of color have those have had those experiences because our parents want us to they want us to succeed in ways that they may not have done and they also want us to be in roles that they think that society will finally respect us for so I felt already that like okay well I have to work hard but now I definitely have to work even harder because I'm starting this a lot later because I I didn't have I didn't necessarily have the same levels of support in wanting to kind of be in the creative industries as say a white person may do. Um, I, I wasn't kind of supported in the same way from like family or friends just because, as I said, they didn't think that it would be a safe space for me to be in because they didn't see anybody else that looked like me. That was as far as I knew. They didn't know or see anybody else that looked like me that was working in these spaces. And then when it came to TV shows and films, especially in the nineties, there still weren't that many of people that looked like me that were then on TV that weren't in stereotypical roles that weren't playing just the kind of typical like just the kind of yeah the typical dangerous stereotypes that you still kind of see so as far as they kind of knew that wasn't a space that was open for me so they thought it would be better that I didn't put myself through that and be the doctor or lawyer that they are sadly disappointed that I'm not but now they think I'm successful I guess but you know no. From a social, from from a social aspect, um, I think you are starting like backwards as well. Especially if you like um, Tanya mentioned going to the pub and stuff. And like, if you don't go to the pub or if you don't drink, then that's a whole lot of socialising that you're unfortunately missing out on, which isn't fair because you know a, a lot of that happens outside of work. Or if you go and then you know you're not buying rounds because you don't drink alcohol or you're constantly saying an orange juice please or coke or something and people just like oh, okay i don't i really don't feel like talking or something it just it's like you have to try so much harder just to like get the conversation to a casual place with you rather than you know it always being about you don't drink rich so you've never had a drink you don't know what it's like to be drunk or something you know and it's like just trying to get the conversation on like one-on-one -on -one, can we just have a chat you know like instead of like it be about how different i am or what i don't do or something like that and i uh I, there's been places where that has been frustrating not every place i've worked has pub as going to the pub been such a like main thing of the job but there have been places where it's like every friday or something we're going to the pub and you know a lot of the networking talk will happen naturally there outside of work 
and it's just something you're missing out on. You might not know about, you know, the next the next project that's going on, especially with a lot of our work being contract based, which means like, you know, next year we might need to be looking for another job again. And it's like something casual might just easily come up like, oh, so-and-so's hiring or something like that. And you'll just miss out on all of that because there's nothing else to do outside of work than go to a pub. And if you don't feel like it, or if you feel like when you go to a pub, the conversation is always going to be about why aren't you drinking or something like that, then like you are a bit behind. Like how else are you going to find out? Like it's a, it's a bit, it, it just always feels a little bit unfair, you know? Um, so thinking back to uh, something Bimpy said um, about being discouraged to go into the creative industries, what do you think uh, can be done to encourage people of BAME backgrounds like us um, to come into the industry? Um, how should we approach it? How do we get these people involved? How do we help people get in? And how do we help companies to just show them where they're going wrong um, and where to find us? because even we can't find us, it wouldn't care. <laughs> I, think a, I think a big thing is to just make content about them. Like for the most part, when it comes to animated series or films, the main character is uh, usually always a white person. And that's like, that's a lot of uh, non-white people uh, can't identify with that very much. They're not seeing themselves in these productions, so they might not think that I can be a part of this like like a white person can. I think uh, also just white people seeing themselves, they're, they're, they're being portrayed as the main character. They're being portrayed as the most important person in the, in the film or in the show. I think uh, making films or series about non-white people will inspire them to go into this field. And also just having those shows made by non-white people shows that this can be done by someone who's not white. Tanya? I think um, a lot of these studios and um, also funding bodies need to start to understand that this is also a class issue. Um, what we're talking about is obviously the British workplace and British animation predominantly. And I think like we do just have to acknowledge that, you know, it's, it, people of colour are more likely to come from a working class background or a poor background. And actually animation is a really expensive, time consuming pursuit. Like, you cannot do it on the cheap. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of dedication. And I have seen so many schools and, like, like art schools and even, like I said, like, government funding, funding bodies like the BFI, um, you know, try and encourage people into the industry while simultaneously it's sort of like withholding money or telling people they have to volunteer their time and they have to work for free. And, you know, if you're going to come and do this internship, you have to do it for free. It's like you have to understand that, you know, and this isn't even my experience, but for me, I, I think this is kind of common sense. So if you, if you, your parents don't earn a lot of money, 
and you have struggled as a child like your parents have struggled to you know keep you guys like financially stable then coming into a job like this where people are saying to you if you want to succeed you have to give your time for free is not something you can afford to do even if you really desperately want to do it and i think people have to be really really honest about how they're trying to help people who don't have financial means to come into the industry you know like i mean bimpy and i've had this conversation before about nma i'm considering doing an MA this year it's very expensive and even now when i told my parents i wanted to do an MA, it's my mum's you know my mum didn't get to go to art school like she wanted so she's very supportive of me my dad's from a very working class English background and when I told them both like how much it would cost like their jaws just like hit the ground and they were just like what like how much you're gonna take time off work you know like even now at my level if I'm trying to convince my parents that something is worth me taking time off unpaid and then to pay to do something in order to push myself forward, I, I have to do a lot of convincing. And I can't imagine what it must be like for somebody who is much younger than me, who hasn't even gone to university, who has maybe struggled even like through college to then think about doing something like this, where they then have to pay for Photoshop and the Adobe suite, and they can't get the student rate because they're not going to university straight away and they have to buy a good enough computer. And then if they want to make a film, they can't make it for free. So who are they going to find to help them? Like there are a lot of like logistics into making animation. And I think that is often completely ignored when people are talking about trying to encourage people into the industry. Uh, just to go off what Tanya said, I went to uni with quite a few other black people. Um, in my course, it was, it was like, I want to say almost 50-50, like there was quite a few black people and I've not seen any of them, unfortunately, in the industry. A lot of them had to drop out in the second year, you know, um, finance issues. One of them actually had to go back to Nigeria. Just things like that, that, you know, are hurdles that stop you from being able to continue. Plus all the finances, like uni costs so much. And then, you come out of it and like Tanya said, you need programs. Like you need to get your hands on certain programs. You need to pay for them. You need to have a workstation at home to be able to learn before you can even get your foot in the door. And then on the studio, and I feel like they need to listen more before acting. Like I feel a lot of places don't want to, don't want to accept that they might be going about this the wrong way because then it makes them feel like oh we're part of the problem you know and Bimpe said this before like it's uncomfortable it's an uncomfortable conversation but you're never going to help it's never going to get any better like you're getting so um I've had this conversation with Tanya as well but there's a lot of universities who as soon as they finish university they can easily get a job because they've got their connections or their uni is so easily connected and stuff but how about those people who had to either drop out or after uni because of how much money they've spent they've had to go back home for a bit they have able to to go straight into university that they haven't been able to go straight into studio work like studios need to be reaching out for those people they need to be going you know trying to diversify which places they look for people and understand that not everyone who can come into the industry um 
has the finance or the support to be able to do it straight away you know like it needs to stop feeling like oh i've already got i've already given you you an internship what else do you want from me uh, and more along the lines of like okay this is difficult this is more difficult for you to get in than it is for this person so you know you're willing to learn you're good at what you do we're going to help you out a lot more you know and it, it it just it feels fake when you see a lot of these things online and it's like you know statistics or like oh we're such a diverse place or we're really caring and it's like yes because those are the lucky people who have been able to jump through all those hurdles and get to that point where they're now part of the crew you know but how about the so, so many other people who unfortunately couldn't do that you know and most of the time they are people of color or minorities who unfortunately have so many other issues apart from just finding an animation job that stopped them from getting to that point and studios and companies could really really help if they just you know listened a bit more and saw like the issues that were affecting these people to stop them this i knew some people in uni who were so talented you know like just the things they could do they don't have jobs they don't have jobs in the industry because it's just impossible for them to do it because of their family life or because they've had to go back home or they've had to help their mum back at home because she's she's not well or something it's like you know all these things just stop people of people of color minorities just from getting their foot in the door you know tanya i just wanted to just add in from what i was saying and just saying like as well like some of the things that i've seen like it's been so obvious to me that a white probably upper middle class person has has made this call or decision on how they're going to approach either um, talking about students or talking about people entering the industry like there is I can I can see there is no groundwork that has been done like they have not actually spoken to anybody about it they've just made assumptions on what they think the issue is and I think definitely like studios need to be more present and more aware of what these issues are for people from different backgrounds and that's the only way they're going to resolve it <clears throat> yeah just to follow on from what's been said already as well like um yeah a lot of these a lot of these like pieces of software like um that do kind of exist as having student licenses even now you need to prove that you are at university you need to jump through all these hoops just to show that you are at university even if you are of student age but as you said, if you can't afford to go to university or there are other commitments that you have, there you are then cut off from what used to be kind of freer avenues. And so I think if companies really want to be throwing their money at things or if organisations really want to be throwing their money at things, throw your money in the places that are, that are actually needed actually to if you want to if you say that you want to support us then actually kind of support us in terms of giving us access to a lot of these tools that allow us to do these things whether that's through sponsorship whether that's through mentoring on a wider level instead of kind of just like okay we're putting money towards this one thing that's all going to be sucked up in this certain shape or form that actually isn't going to be getting to the people that actually need it it needs to be long-term it needs to be long-term investment and as Mo said like actually listen to people listen to what the real issues are listen to what it is that's actually needed and again 
you can't just keep going to the same schools or the same universities because you kind of claim that you're looking for more diversity and you can't find it anywhere. But that's because you're going to the same schools and universities which have the same population of people and tend to have the same large majority of a certain race, which is usually white. So of course you're not finding any diversity or any diverse talent there because you're not going outside of the pipeline and the avenues that you're used to going to so do a little bit of it requires just a little bit of extra work a little bit of extra time and listening and again if you're going to use if you want to throw money at something do the research into what is where the money actually needs to be going and companies need to be willing to make these assets or these programs more widely available to people i'm just going back to something you bimpy and Tanya mentioned the parent element. Um, do you think that there is uh, uh, a, a required education or encouragement for individuals of like sort of how do I say refugee backgrounds? I'm first generation uh, born here, Somali, so I know my mum was completely against me coming into the industry even working on the production side which is a little bit more stable than the contract work of being on the more creative side so is did you guys face any barriers from your own parents was that difficult oh yeah the conversation with parents definitely i think needs to be had from an early level like if we're going to be going into schools universities like we need to also be engaging parents like as i said my parents didn't think that this was a necessarily a safe space for me but they didn't even first and foremost they didn't even know that it existed as a career like being a concept artist i didn't know it existed as a career all these films that were being made i had no idea that there were actually people that actually made these things so there's a lot of there's a massive gap in terms of information how that information is being filtered through especially within our communities so sometimes it may take a few of us a little bit longer to find to find it basically so i think again and it helps if our families and our parents are kind of made more comfortable in knowing that these are career avenues that exist and also that we can make money um in these spaces because at the end of the day our parents just want us to be looked after supported be able to support ourselves they want us to thrive and also allow them to see that there are various avenues and rooms hopefully room for progression within these spaces so i think it is really important to be engaging parents quite early on if we're going into schools having those discussions with them if we're running events like make it an event that's for the parent and the student as well so they can see what actually happens so if they can be because they're probably going to be inspired as well by seeing like what gets made, how get how it gets made, um, seeing what the kids are going to be learning about. I think it's important because then that will also probably help them in supporting in whatever way they can at least being able to support your child down that avenue. But again, those are longer and wider conversations where it comes to what we we're just talking about in terms of resources and availability of resources. But yeah. Tanya? Um, yeah, it's just, it is basically echoing what Pimpi was saying, but just, I think even for for younger people like who want to explain to their parents that this is something they can do i think there definitely needs to be more help regarding understanding what the jobs are in this industry and like you know the types of contracts you get what kind of you know like i'm freelance but i'm contracted like when i went to university nobody told me that i had to work it all out 
once I started work and it just happened on my first job was PAOE and I was very lucky about that but then you know over time like you, know, you have to understand like what is the norm what's not and I think definitely more resources need to be available for that for kids to watch and for their parents um I I think as well like what Riz was saying earlier about like seeing yourself on tv like so rarely I mean it's part of the reason why I wanted to do these kind of discussions and panels because I think like parents don't see successful you know people of color working behind the scenes on tv they don't see it like in front of the screen they don't see it off the screen when you do like a making of so why would they think that this is a place where you can make money and earn a decent living like they're not going to believe it because they've never seen it. It's just to them, it's this is an industry for white people. So I think it is just about making sure like there's more visibility and a better understanding that, you know, you can make good money out of this and you can live very comfortably, but there are just some extra steps that say, like rather than just being PAYE, um, like any other job. Um, I, I personally wasn't discouraged by my parents on going to animation industry, but I have had other family members kind of say to me, like, you shouldn't go into art. There's no career in art. You won't make money. Um, and I think because of that, there was like a stubbornness to kind of prove them wrong. Like, but I'm going to get into it. Even though none of, no, no other family member of mine has. A lot of them actually... Like, it's a shame because a lot of them actually are really talented and really artistic, but it it was just a hobby for them and they dropped it because that was the belief that they had. Um, and I think, like Tanya said, it is, it is a, uh, because we don't see ourselves being successful uh, in this industry and we don't see ourselves on TV um, that that we don't, we, we were kind of against pursuing uh, these careers. But I think even now I still have that kind of stubbornness to make something that is authentic to my culture that kind of uh, shows them that this is an industry that we belong in. And um, just to encapsulate this entire conversation, uh, why do we think this conversation on diversity and inclusion is important in the animation industry? Riz? Uh, I think, uh, I mean, not to say that animation is this, but uh, uh, the majority of uh, animated shows and films are geared towards children. And I feel like the uh, these... Uh, shows and stuff that we're making are educating kids and are inspiring them that they that applying ideas into their into their minds and when when those shows are all centered around white characters I feel like kids are going to feel as though we're the most important our stories are the ones that deserve to be told and everyone else is kind of on the side. Um, I feel like uh, it's important for 
us to show that non-white people are as important and their stories deserve to be told as well. So that kids don't grow up thinking that white people are on some sort of pedestal compared to everybody else. Bimpy? Yeah, just following on from what we said, to be quite honest, um, media, apart from conversations with our family quite early on and then friends at school, media, we use media to inform about us about the world. Um, we do it even well into adulthood. We learn about the world and how we are viewed in the world and how other people are also how they are viewed in the world through television, film, music, all those aspects. So especially with kids, you're learning a lot. So it's important about, it's important in terms of the portrayals that are put out about the world and about other people. So if you're portraying a certain race and a stereotype consistently, that is what people will go on to believe that these people are. So we, it's a responsibility of everyone involved within these spaces to be making sure that these spaces are as diverse as possible. So different narratives are being told and they're being told right. They're being told truthfully. They're not being conflated. They're not being stereotyped, but also they are just being told in general. So they're not being forgotten or glossed over because there are so many stories that are still yet to be told on so many different shapes or forms. And so the, for a lot of people in the world, um, a lot of things look a very particular way because films have constantly shown certain things in a certain way, like war narratives are told in a, in a, a very specific way that eliminates the presence of black people, for example, and their role that they played in, um, that were played in certain aspects. Um, and that leads to people just erasing, erasing our narratives um, not believing that we held any particular role or space within these spaces. So I think it's really, really, it's vital. It's important. If we want to the world to truly, if we want people's understanding to, to truly reflect what the world actually looks like, then we need to make sure that um, animation, visual effects, all these stories are diverse, not just on screen, but also behind the camera as well, because those are the people that are going to help these stories be told. These are the people that are going to be able to share like our own experiences to make sure that it's being told on camera. Tanya? Um, yeah, it's, it's sort of following on from these guys, I think, like, I mean, one of my first thoughts is, like, um, it, it sounds extreme, I think, if people don't come from, like, a similar background, so they'll think this is an extreme thing to say. But often I feel like when people of colour are portrayed in mainstream media, there is no humanity to how we are presented. Like, we are completely robbed of it. Like, I know we're going to have, like, another conversation about uh, representation in animation but you know I can think of so many examples where like East Asian characters or black characters or South Asian characters are just like completely robbed of a personality they're just they are just there in the background or they haven't got any lines or what they say is never translated because it's just not important um, and I think you know that that definitely needs to stop but I think if we're talking about like why this is important now and why we should diversify animation, I think, you know, the British animation, in my opinion, British animation could be something really exciting and really interesting because especially in London, we're such a sort of multicultural society that 
we should really be cashing in on that. Like, I know that sounds really crude and really blunt, but I think, like, there's so many, like, how many times have we all watched something and we've been like, I know exactly where this story is going because I have seen it a million times before. I know who will be the bad guy. I know who will be the good guy. I know who will save us all. Uh, you know, I know it will be a, if there's a, you know, a South Asian or Arab person on there he'll probably be a terrorist or something like that you know it's it's boring it's really boring and I think everybody is just craving like new original interesting content and for you know the way we consume media now is so global and a lot of the money that people will be getting to make these things will be coming from Africa and they will be coming from Asia like I think it's about time that the UK sort of caught up to that and started reflecting that in the content it makes because it's really probably very beneficial financially. Riff? I think also like when you're uh, depicting non-white people as these uh, wrong stereotypes or whatever like it also circles back to what we were talking about before like how it how we're treated in the workplace like like Mo was saying earlier, like, uh, like someone might uh, get this idea of a black person and think, well, oh, they don't act like what I've seen on TV. And even if they don't say that, you kind of think like they're probably thinking that about me or like that I don't align with what they've been shown on TV with it not being an authentic representation of us um it it affects how we're treated in the real world as well Ma? when you see people of color in animation they usually have they're usually the ones with the accent you know or the one-liners or something and unfortunately you go to school the next day and everyone is saying that line and it becomes an insult like you become, you become that, you become just that line, like, oh, you're Nigerian, so your mum always says that to you, and that becomes so degrading, and as a kid, that's the last thing anyone would ever want to see, you know, and it's in so many different shows, they're always the comical ones who just, oh yeah, we can always count on him to say something stupid or they're always the one with the crazy parents, the wacky ones who is like, Oh wow, their, their, their house must be mad or something, you know? And it just always feeds back into how kids look at other kids when they're in school. And now you've grown up with that. Why would you ever feel comfortable in going to work in that industry, feeling you're going to be represented if that's all you've ever seen when you were growing up? Um, it needs to change because like, you know, at a young age, you're just, you're just completely, you're, it's just forced on you that black people are so different from white people. You know, Tanya mentioned as well, like the protagonists are always usually white. Like they're always the good guys. They're the ones who are going to save the day. If they go to a tropical place and see people of other colors, they have never seen technology. You know, they, they're always there to educate them, to teach them, to make them better. You know, we always look up to the white people. We're so lucky to have them there. And that never makes you feel good 
I, I remember as a kid watching so many different shows and just being like, that's not nice. That's it just it's just like why why am I always seen as a savage, you know? Um and then you go and work and you go and work in animation and you know half or like ninety percent of the characters you're animating are still white. And that is not a nice thing to have to do every day, you know? Like, like there's no diversity, there's no other stories, and the stories that are told about people of color, you can tell they're not written by people of color. Like, they're, they're very one-dimensional, or it's, it's like, oh, that's a really nice dish that you have, where's that from? It's from so-and-so, done that's it nothing else you know it's like they have no personality whatsoever their personality is their country you know and then you work and people do the same thing they look at you and they're going to be like oh you're definitely going to be a sassy person aren't you like you're definitely gonna you're definitely gonna make me laugh like come on say something like i like slightly unrelated but like i remember one woman said to me at work one time she was more african than me because she was born in Africa and I was born here. And I felt she wanted me to have some sassy reply to her to make her laugh. And it was like, what do you expect of me? Like how many black people have you actually met that you, like is your, like it just, it just fuels this stereotype constantly. And because these shows do well, because these shows become so popular and no one says anything, then they feel like, yeah, we're doing great. Like that black character is so good. People love him so much. And it's like, no, people are laughing at him. They're not laughing with him, you know? Like, you're never, you're never going to be a black kid going to secondary school and having the umpteenth person insult you because they saw so-and-so, sorry, so-and-so on TV make that same joke about, oh, Nigerian's parents are always like this, you know? It's, it's just degrading, man. Tanya? Yeah, just... Um a couple of things that like um the other thing I was thinking when Mo was saying that was um how like if if the um person of colour has like a, a joke or is supposed to be there for 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 the humour, they don't actually have like witty one liners that they can say. Like they're not actually like a funny character. It's like Oh, they've got an accent, isn't that hilarious? Like, you know, like with Chinese people it's like, oh they can't say their R's or whatever. Oh, fight lies, so funny. Like, you know, like, I don't know how many times I need to hear that. And it is never funny. It is a really rubbish joke and people need to stop using it. But then also just quickly, like, um, like Mo was saying as well, like how when you have a person of colour, like in, in an animated series, generally they are like in the background somewhere. And I know Riz and I touched on this on the screen skills conversation, but like, um, like coming from the production side of animation and seeing how much of an afterthought it is to put in a person of colour into an animated series. It is hilarious because it is literally like, I've been on series where they've been saying, oh, we've not got any black people in this episode. Just take that, take that character there and recolor his skin colour brown. Yeah, that guy in the background there. And then you're going through, and you're actually like the one doing it. Like you're actually going through and like, picking the skin tone colour and changing it just so they can look a little bit more diverse when they put it on TV. Uh, it's just, it's, it's such a big problem. Um, 
and it, it does again like we were talking about humanity i think it's like this thing where it's like you, you can never be more than sort of like a, a whatever that is is going on in the background like you're irrelevant whatever you have to say isn't important um and i think that's so often the case in kids animation unfortunately Bimpy? Yeah, just what I was going to say just feeds into what Tanya and Mo were saying, to be quite honest. Like, um, humour is, um, humour starts to be used very much as a weapon, I feel like, in many, many cases. So whether or not you are typecast as the only person of colour once you're tokenised, you then have to be the sassy character, especially if you're the black female, you have to fulfil the comedy role, or if it's a horror film, you are the person that dies and usually dies first, and which is the age-old boring trope consistently still even now um but then also that the person of color then has to fulfill every role i find which is that they have to be um the person that represent, represents the person of color they also then have to be the person that represent um, represents the lgbtqi community they have to be the person that then represents well never normally the neurodiverse community but i feel like they then have to un encompass everything to just suddenly tick all those boxes like okay we've done something new we've got a black character and they are also this they are also that therefore we've filled that quota <laughs> and, it's, and it's just like is this like is this what we're still doing it becomes that in itself is very exhausting to watch and also very insulting to watch because again it's perpetuating that idea that we cannot be anything more than our skin color or our sexuality like it those have to be those become the things that are more important than the actual like as Mo said humanizing us or giving us actually any character that is more than just one line or more than just one trope and also it's which feeds into what Tony was saying like you can also really tell when a character like you've had a character that suddenly pops up that's character of color that is somebody's gone okay yeah we, we haven't got anybody else of color let's just replace let's just cut change this cut this person's color color and they are now going to be a black character or an asian character you can because you can tell by the writing you can tell when a character not not saying that we all have to be like in a particular way because that defeats the purpose but there are there are specific nuances that you you just know like for example one of the shows that i love um is how to get away with murder and for me like it it was solidified as a show that I loved. The moment they had Viola Davis at the end of the day, she took off her wig and I was like, oh my God, yes. And then she put on a silk headscarf. So any black women like listening to this or just anyone in general will kind of like, most black people will kind of know that like, it's what we will be doing at the end of the night. I'm sorry if I've just outed a lot of us, but we will put on a silk scarf, <laughs> like, to, but, like just to protect our hair and all that kind of stuff. So when she did that, like I automatically was just like, yes, you know that this is a, black writer or a black director or a black producer or there was just some kind of consultation that was going on that was something that doesn't define the character but it's those nuances that you know only another black person specifically a black woman would know about and so when I'm saying that you can tell when color drop has just been used on a specific character because it's missing specific things whether it's in the dialogue whether it's in the characterization just certain nuances and that's just even more insulting to be quite honest. Like, I don't think we're not looking to just suddenly be thrown into like all these roles just to fulfill what would have been a white role. That's not what's being asked for and that's not what should be happening either. Matt? Just, just to carry on from what BMP said, 
it's like I've seen so many black women in TV shows that have white people hair. Like it's just like they've never they've never fought further than change the skin tone and it's fine, you know. And hair like it's such an important it's such an important routine. Like I like I'm not a black woman, but like exactly what Bimpy was saying. Like such an important routine and it's just changed to like color drop black with done that's that's good enough and then you get people grow up and it's like my hair doesn't look like that this happened to my sister when we were growing up together never saw someone on tv with hair like hers you know and then you go to school and it's like your hair's ugly it doesn't look it, it doesn't look as beautiful as the black people on TV, you know, or like, um, yeah, I, I don't want to go into specific um, characters and stuff because um, they might be American instead of English, but it's just, you you see that and then it just makes you feel like you're ugly. And it's like, no, you're not. These people are ignorant. They've not taken more than five seconds to think we need a black girl on this TV program. Um, she'll do. And her name as well. It's like, yeah it's just it it yeah it's just a huge thing and it's frustrating because you know it instantly and then you can get people to just be like what's wrong with her she's black what she's pretty and it's like that's that's your problem isn't it it's like she's pretty because she's got your hair that's what you that's why she's pretty to you if she had our hair to you you'd be like oh that's really traditional oh wow that's so diverse i love it you know it's it's like you can never win. It's frustrating. <laughs> Tanya? And just to follow on from what Mo said, I think all of us probably have experienced, well, I'm sure we have experienced the fact that we haven't, we've grown up not seeing ourselves on TV, whether it's because of the colour of our skin or like as women, like especially like, you know, it's only recently that we've been seeing like curvier women on TV, different body shapes, everyone talking about like periods and things more openly. And I think we have to be really honest and blunt about this. And you have, we have to acknowledge that what we create impacts children massively. And it, if we don't try and get this right, we are impacting their mental health. And I think that is like the really big issue is the fact that, a lot of people like our age grew up thinking kind of the worst of ourselves, whether it was because of the way we looked or what we thought we could achieve or couldn't achieve. And probably a lot of that was down to the content we were watching. And I think now we're all the people making it. We have to be, take some responsibility and want to do better for children today. Um, and again, like this is me coming from specifically like a kids TV background, but I don't want to think that children are watching TV now feeling the way I felt about myself, where actually I really hated the way I looked because I thought my nose was too wide and my hair was too dark and too thick. And, you know, I'd never, you know, be accepted for what I look like. And I'm sure it's been much worse for like, you know, like I was saying about his sister, having to have, look in the mirror and, think like you're abnormal because you don't see yourself anywhere else I mean we've got to do better than that Chris I think it also discourages non-white people to get in the industry get into the industry when when they're not depicted properly on a show or a film for example like if if they're 
if they're just uh, if those nuances aren't there, or if they're just like a joke character or a side character which says a funny one-liner and a funny accent, then they're gonna feel as though that oh, these the 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 I'm I'm not a part of this. I can't be a part of this club. Like they 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 make fun of us in the in this content. This is not where. Uh, we're allowed to work. This is like the platform where the white people will make fun of the non-white people. And I think the only way that's going to change is if we're properly depicted in these shows and properly included. Last comments on this from Bimpy. Just to echo on what Tanya just pointed about, about pointed out about mental health. This, that's a, it's, massive it's a massive massive issue and I th media again plays a massive massive role in um, mental health for people and again those numbers like anxiety levels of depression are continuously going up and I think we heavily underestimate that we heavily underestimate the impact that what the content that is created that that has on kids as well and echoing what Mo was saying about um, his sister those are no, those are issues that I very much faced as well myself, that lack of representation and what that was telling me about how I looked like and what my self-worth was and what my self-worth would have been. And then that was only being further reinforced by people, friends, acquaintances that I knew that also weren't seeing me and what their views were of me and what that meant and what I should be like. And that's a struggle that like you're trying, especially then when you're, when you're growing up and you're trying to figure out a lot of stuff out. And then when you go into the workplace as well, there are all these layers of layers that are constantly, um, that have been built up through a lot of this, uh, through the, all the media that we've been taking in and ingesting as we grow up. And that only really elevates your anxiety levels, to be quite honest. Like, is my hair professional? Is it unprofessional? Um, this, like, should I be speaking like this or should I be speaking like that? Is this professional? Is this unprofessional? Will people view me in this way because I have this or because I wear that or because I say this? Like, constantly having to police yourself, constantly splitting yourself into certain parts to make yourself feel, you basically lessen yourself in order to make other people feel comfortable. And Film and TV play a massive, massive role in that, play a, humong like a humongous role in that. And so we need to be doing better. And just thinking back to Mo talking about frustrations and hearing just this conversation, what do you think people can proactively do to help? Like, um, just if you could speak to a studio who was hiring, um, there's a lot that they can do, but if you could just say something that's direct, something that could they can do quite easily, um, give them a head start or an instruction manual, instruction guide to how to become more diverse. Um, well, firstly, they've got to keep speaking up and speaking out because if you're not having the conversation, then nothing's going to happen anyway. Everything kind of grinds to a halt so they need to be having these conversations ongoing conversations but also if you are privy to something if you've seen something if you're hearing something say something about it you can't just let it slide or let it pass or just go like, oh, okay well maybe they were joking and just fob it off because all that does is add to the issue it keeps adding to the problem and nothing will be addressed otherwise so you need to keep speaking up and speaking out Tanya? Yeah, it's just reflecting what Bimpy was saying, but I think definitely having like a more open like forum and having these discussions and 
showing that you want to do better and that you're willing to learn. I know Mo said this earlier as well, like um, trying to actually show that you are interested and you are trying to make a difference, like genuinely trying to make a difference, not just some like quick shout out on Instagram and that's it. Um, but I think also like having proper protocol in place. I know like not all studios can afford to have an HR department and all that kind of stuff. But I think letting your staff know that these things are taken seriously and if they have an issue, they should come and talk to somebody about it and you will handle it in the most professional way possible, I think is really important. And I think from my experience of something that has happened to me, I would personally discourage them from saying to people come and talk to me alone I think it's better you ask that person if you haven't got an HR department you ask that person to bring somebody to support them in that meeting don't let them stand alone and have that conversation on their own without any support because they probably won't want to talk to you in that situation I think it's really important to understand that people feel very vulnerable in those situations when they have been the victim of you know, racism or sexism in the workplace and they want to call it out, it is very isolating and very lonely. And I think even if they're just bringing in their friend just to oversee the meeting and give them a bit of support, you know, I think that's really important. Um, and I think there has to be a better way of dealing with it. And I don't think saying you don't have an HR department isn't reason not to act professionally. Chris? I think it's important for uh, studios to realize who they've employed. Uh, I said this in our previous panel, but it goes back to what Mo said earlier about the pub. Like, you need to realize what kinds of people are in your studio and uh, I think cater like events and social activities with them in mind, uh, like all studios have are like Christmas events, pub events, and like Halloween event maybe. But you need like if there's like a Muslim in in your workplace, like you know, read up when like Ramadan is taking place and keep that in mind, or Eid, or like Diwali or whatever, to kind of include them as well because they're always having to join in with the activities of the white people and. Uh, it, I think it really leaves them out in those instances. They kind of have to pretend to be a part of what everyone else does. Uh, I think, I think um, studios need to just listen more and understand that, you know, they are ignorant to some of these issues and some of these problems and accept that, you know, these can be solved by hiring people of color in higher management positions, you know? Don't just feel like I can solve this by myself and get, like, you know, maybe some people, maybe some people need to step down for certain jobs. Or if this, if this show is going to start a lot of people of color, hire people of color in those managerial roles, you know, talk to the, the, the people you're working with, like understand how they feel about like, the things they were working on and stuff. A lot of these things go under the carpet, like completely never said because those people below don't want to like upset people and potentially lose their jobs. And the people above don't want to hear it because they don't want to, they don't want to believe there's a problem going on in their company, you know? 
it's like it, 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 there needs to be a more comfortable and safe open place for people to want to talk up about their problems like Tanya mentioned like a lot of places don't have HR um, people there for you to talk to like that's not really a good thing that should be going on in a lot of these you know smaller companies Tanya? Just one really quick point is the fact that I think as well is really important to say um, but listening to a lot of my, one of my guy friends were saying after Black Lives Matter I think it's really important that studios don't put this on the shoulders of uh, their BAME employees like it's not everybody else's responsibility to educate you like I think there's plenty of stuff online if you if you're willing to learn like go online watch stuff on YouTube watch TED talks you know I, I quoted Vera Myers in my article because I think she's so super articulate about this and she breaks it down really simply and I think one of the points she makes is the fact that you know we all have to admit that we play a part in this and that we all hold unconscious bias whether or not we 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 want to or not it's just something unfortunately we're all kind of been trained to believe and i think acknowledging that and showing that you want to learn from it and saying if you make a mistake just saying to somebody like i'm really sorry like i should have known better i will do better from this point on but i think that's that is kind of enough and it's not said enough um you know, I've, like I was saying earlier, like there are a lot of things that I had never considered until I started watching some of these videos on YouTube. I had never thought about it from the perspective of somebody, you know, who was black or male. You know, it was just not something I gave time to because I had always been trained to believe that they were going to do something else, think, want to be something else, you know. <laughs> like, I had that unconscious bias. I didn't even recognise it in myself until I went away and I really thought about it. And it is horrible to sort of learn that about yourself in some ways. But I think it's really important that we all acknowledge it and try and move on from it. Um, and I think that's, that's just, I just don't want somebody to listen to this and think then, okay, I'm going to call my one black friend and ask them to explain all this to me. Like, please don't do that. No. Um, we can talk for forever guys we really could um, despite the lack of inclusion within the animation industry what motivates you guys to keep working in your chosen fields Mo? I love animation like it's just something that has been inspiring since when I was a kid you love you love watching um, how it's made drawing and like it's 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 really trying when like, you have wooden strings stacked up against you, but like when everything works and like you're 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 doing something you love, like I feel like you'll fight for that forever. Like you know, um, and it makes you feel stronger as well when you can get through it. Like no one should have to go through this, but in my experience, and in my experience, knowing like how I felt in some positions and knowing how I feel now after those challenges, it makes me feel like, oh, I'll keep going and I'll keep having to fight if I need to because I love doing this and nothing nothing is going to stop me from pursuing it. Uh, just to echo, yeah, pretty much the same as Mo. Like, every, like, we all come up against, even white people, we all come up against various barriers within what we're doing. But what keeps us going is loving what we're doing, whether that is animating, concept art, like, um, compositing. It's the love of 
what we're doing and despite all of this stuff like it's not all like doom and gloom and all that kind of stuff like we should still want to pursue our passions we should still want to pursue what it is that we love so I like to anyone I wouldn't say don't let this be a reason as to why you don't um try to get into animation or visual effects if it's something that you absolutely love doing then do it go for it fight for it because yeah, as Mo said, it's it's a sheer it's a sheer love of it. Why else would we keep doing it? So that ends today's panel. Thank you guys for joining and answering all those questions, especially this time of night on a Sunday. It's honestly thank you guys um, for the time and um, great conversation. <laughs>